Hey guys, welcome back to Coffee with a Shot of Cynicism, the Gilmore Girls podcast. I'm Eleni. I'm Jeffrey. And today we're talking about episode 413? Yes. Do you remember the title of this one? Okay, I wrote it down, but I want you to say it. it's, a, it's a mouthful. I'm not, I'm not up to saying it. Okay. Sorry to bother you. <laughs> I was writing it down. I'm like, she's going to ask me to say this. And I'm like, no, it's not happening. Okay. So it's Nag Hammadi is where they found the Gnostic Gospels. What the hell does, what? I'm sorry. What the hell does that mean? So I remember clicking play on this episode. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, in the top right corner, Netflix says what the episode title is. Yeah. And I don't know if I, like, I must have blocked it out. <laughs> but I read it, and I was like, what the fuck? Right? Yeah. So I think it's in reference to the the, the charity, because they're at the Rare Books charity. Even then, my God. Amy, what is this? Amy... Not your finest work. <laughs> I'm sure she doesn't have a hand in every episode title, but still. No, I doubt it, but, like, I don't know any of the other executive producers. Amy, Daniel, figure it out. Do better. <laughs> yeah, oh, 10 years later. Um, yeah, no, it wasn't great. It wasn't great. Um, it also took me forever to, like, write out. <laughs> Especially for, like, what I'm going to allege, at least personally, is one of my all-time favorite episodes. This oh, one, my- I... I was about to say that. I think I'm going to go on record, fight me, and say that this is the best episode of season four. Okay, yeah. For sure, season four. And for sure, for me, one of, like, my all-time favorites out of the whole show. Yeah, this is, hands down, for me, the best episode of season four. The writing, the character development, um, all the little pieces, all the characters that are involved, too, Mm -hmm. um, that are also in a regular episode, maybe my new characters that also play a very big part in this one. I'm like, I'm in love with this episode. Yes. Agreed. As I, you know, like when you start, you start writing notes and you're like, oh, I love this. Oh, I love that. And then eventually you get to the point where it's like, I love everything about this. Yeah. No, I just, uh, I'm in love with this episode. I love it. I love it. I love it. I could do without the fucking title, but I love it. <laughs> um, yes. Agreed. Yeah. Another thing with this episode is that it's very rare in the show that we get, um, we get episodes that take place in such a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. So this episode isn't, it's, it's just one day. Yeah. Um, and it's a direct continuation from the episode before, which was the night before. Yeah, it is. Cause you can see like in the beginning it's, it was a, a nice like two parter without really being an official two parter, you know, like it was like this, the serialized elements of, uh, this episode and episode 12 were very well done. Yeah, because we're used to, um, in Gilmore Girls and also in hour-long dramas sometimes, um, skipping ahead a bunch. Yeah. Or, you know, sometimes in Gilmore Girls, the the way we know that time is going, is passing us by, is the insertion of a Gilmore Girls Friday night dinner. Yes. I, was, I thought you were going to say the season. Like, it's always cold or fall or it's summer now. Yeah, and sometimes we'll have, like, two dinners in a row so we know like two weeks have passed you know what I mean so like this was a nice touch of just focusing on the moment yes um and again it doesn't happen very often in this in the whole series but I like when it does Agreed. Um, so let's talk about the opening scene should I give my shout out first before we dive in what's your shout out my shout out it's a Lauren on Twitter oh Lauren (laughs) yeah go for Um, it 
regarding the tweets that Eleni shared on our Instagram story, um, was it yesterday or today? Um, Whatever it was. <laughs> as of this recording, they were. It was this day. And it was in regards to um, Mr. Patterson's podcast, which we agreed we're not going to talk about at length very much anymore because for obvious reasons. Um, For obvious reasons. (laughs) Yes. So I just wanted to share these extremely hilarious tweets that made me burst out loud when I saw them on our story. Um, So she said that she listened to Scott's podcast for some strange, odd reason. And this man is really calling... Lorelai Week for leaving home at 17, dot, dot, dot. Bitch, I'm under your bed. That was the funniest part for me. <laughs> so that got me first. <laughs> before. So that got me first. And then the second thing was her reply to someone, which um, now I'm struggling to find. Hang on one second. Um, she said something to the effect of, Oh, here it is. He's literally spending this whole podcast episode kind of dogging Lorelai as a mother. Weird behavior from the unemployed. Yes, Lauren, go off. Okay, I'm deceased, uh, dead and gone, dead and buried. So everybody go give Lauren a freaking follow on Twitter. What's her Twitter handle? Um, It's Lorelai Gilmore, but there's like a Q in it. It is... um. Lorelai Gilmore, but the O in Gilmore is a Q. Okay, well, go follow Lauren. Yes, you'll um, find her if you go on our Twitter feed. We retweeted that um, that m- malicious burn. <laughs> she's uh, she's ready to throw hands. I mean, I would be too if I listened to it. That's why I'm not listening to it. So I just want a little shout out to her for that because uh, made me cry with laughter. <laughs> yeah, it was really funny when I saw it last night, but also... Um, so I stopped listening to the podcast. Doesn't it feel like it's been 14 years that it's been going on? Honestly, yes. He's only on episode six. Jesus Christ. It feels like we've been talking about this for a year. But I mean, like, it's just, it's. I think it's because every day, so he has weekly episodes. And like I think us. Because, yeah, like us. So we're better, <laughs> obviously. Um, <laughs> no, but I think it's because every day, like, another news outlet picks up another snippet of what he said and runs with it like a whole story. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't help that every opportunity he has, he does interviews and just repeats himself. I know. I'm just like, sir. And sir. according to an, and according to another tweet from our uh, timeline that you um, shared with a gif of Elsa saying, let it go, is that he is still, <laughs> is that, is that he's still on the topic of a, another Gilmore Girls reunion, and sir, it's not happening. And if it is, I don't want it. I think, I think the, um, that interview that he, he did, where he talks about pretend, a potential second a year in the life, was with some obscure New Zealand publication. <laughs> and I'm like, sir, it's over. It's been five years since the reunion. Like, can it's you even done. imagine? <laughs> like, it's done. Move on. Mm. Yeah. Anyways, whatever. I don't want to spend another moment talking about this when we have the perfection that is this episode to talk about. Get a job, Scott. Thanks so much. I do have to say, though, a lot of people, especially after putting, um, posting that, that in our story, that tweet in our story, a lot of people have come into our DMs to say that Scott Patterson is ruining Luke for them. 
Yeah, join the club. Yeah, so I'm also very much having a hard time. I'm, I was going to say me, not so much. Like, I can kind of separate it as, like, current Scott Patterson and, like, I'm watching old Scott Patterson, but. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know if it's, like, when I watch the episode, like, the timing always seems to line up with another stupidity that he said. Like, I don't know. But every time I'm like, oh, Luke. And then I see his fucking 60-year-old face now and I'm like, fuck off. (laughs) (sighs) Okay, we can leave it at that. (laughs) <laughs> we are going to leave it at that because, yeah, I can't. Okay, let's talk about the opening scene. Again, when I mentioned that I was writing down, like, love this, love that, my first note was, like, I think one of my favorite cold opens, even with the unnecessary Sylvia Plath shot. Yeah, we've discussed the unnecessary Sylvia Plath um, quote in this episode um, and the constant hating on her and other female writers. Like this um, one, this one wasn't so much wasn't as bad as in season three when they base when they basically just like tore like tore into her for like what leaving her kids a snack before she committed suicide or whatever it was. Yeah. Um. This was just but like this was funny. I'll agree. Like the first time I watched it, I would like I chuckled because it was you know a little funny. But then with repeated rewatches, it's like just so unnecessary. Like why did you have to make a Sylvia Plath joke like right then and there? Like it's just insensitive. <laughs> For, mal- for many reasons. Oh, well, again, we've said it before. Mm-hmm. It's 2003. Yes. And no, it's 2004 now, actually. Yeah, we're currently in 2004. Excuse me. Um, it's now 2004. <laughs> and, um, you know, we were a little bit harsher with women back then. Agreed. And with mental illness in general. Yes. If something like that was said today, maybe it wouldn't fly. I would hope it wouldn't fly. But anyways, um, so that that cold open with um, they're trying to patch the window. Well, the window's broken. Lane is sleeping under a pile of blankets. <laughs> Lorelai sits on her. As you would with your daughter, maybe. <laughs> yeah, but also I, I have a question. Yes. So Rory apparently had no idea that Lane had followed her from Yale. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have a car. How did she get there? I don't know. Maybe she let me like Rory told her, you know, I'm going back home. But if you want to stay here, you can. And then Lane was like, I don't know, didn't like obviously didn't come home with her in the car and then decided she didn't want to stay stay at Yale by herself. So she like took a bus, I'm assuming. Some of the semantics still bother me, but that's just me. <laughs> um and then I I really like the moment between Lorelai and Lane where Lorelai is giving Lane an opportunity to I don't know use Lorelai as her mouthpiece. Well, I mean that's jumping ahead. First of all, in the co- in the cold open, all Lane says is, "Hey, did someone sit on me just now? My hip hurts. Oh, getting old." Well, as somebody whose hip fairly often hurts, <laughs> um, join the club, Lane. <laughs> Lane's nineteen though. Well, her hip hurts. Her hip hurts for different reasons. I know. I'm geriatric. <laughs> you really are. I'm geriatric. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but I do like the moment between Lorelai and Lane, where Lorelai is kind of offering to be the messenger. Yes. Um, and I think, I think the reason why this conversation with her and Lane was so different between the conversation. Um, with 
her and Mrs. Kim is because I think deep down Lorelai knows that Mrs. Kim is never going to make the first move. Yeah. She's way too stubborn. Yeah, and Lor- I, like, I like like what Lorelai said about it being a mom thing. Like she knows that she knows that Mrs. Kim is feeling feeling it, but yeah. Uh, she also knows, like you said, that Mrs. Kim is too stubborn. Or not even I mean I'm like stubborn and also just like what's another word for stubborn? Like just stubborn. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, like you know, Mrs. Kim is just Mrs. Kim. Like she's just too rigid and set in her ways that she, even when she knows her feelings are saying one thing, her like dictated set of rules is saying another. Because the way I see it, it's like, even at this point, if Mrs. Kim wanted to be, wanted to say, hey, Lane, maybe I exaggerated, please come back. I think her rigidity and her stubbornness would be like, no, parents make the rules, stick to your sons. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Whereas, um, I think Lorelai is trying to encourage Lane to maybe say something. Mm -hmm. Because number one, she knows Lane better, but also maybe she knows that Lane is more level-headed. Yeah. For sure. Um, and, you know, and I think also she knows that Lane has to be missing her mom, too, no matter how hurt she is. Um, well, yeah, because she lived like she lived nowhere else but there her whole life. And now it's just like, OK, cool. I'm not welcome there anymore. I mean, we also forget, like, I, I think it's really easy to forget, especially with, you know, fiction, that these are still children, <laughs> Yes, just because you're 19 doesn't mean you know how to cross the street or tie your yeah. shoes. So well, that yeah, but I mean, like Lane is still technically a child. So yeah, and I think the burden being on Lane is something that I I have a hard time with mm-hmm. because how many times have I said it on this podcast that you know be a parent. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God, excuse me. <laughs> be a parent and then you're like, died. <laughs> died because I don't want to be a parent. Um, no. <laughs> um, no, but like, it's not up to your child. And I say this all the time when Lorelai and Rory are arguing, or even sometimes, you know, that flashback episode where we saw Emily and Richard with Lorelai, with a younger Lorelai. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not up to your child to make the first move. It's not up to your child to beg for your forgiveness kind of thing, you know? A, yes. a parent should be able to forgive certain things. Mm-hmm. And a parent should be a parent and fucking parent. I think, I, I think I've asked you this before, but have you seen Ricky and the Flash? Uh, yes. Uh, so me, me and my mom watched that again for like the millionth time last weekend. So I'm thinking of a particular quote from that movie where um, Rick Springfield tells Meryl Streep that... It's not like it's it's not your kid's job to love you. It's your job to love them. Absolutely. Um, because she's like, it's a really important movie. I reckon it's five, six years old now. But if you haven't seen it, please do. But um, just because in that scene that I'm referring to in that movie, she's just like Meryl Streep's character just feels so unlovable because her children have rejected her, and it's like, yeah, that's shitty. But you're still the parent. Like you still have to make the first move. You know. Exactly. I mean, it's not your child's job to make sure that you feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And like, I really want to emphasize Lane is still a child, you know? Yeah, like I would never, ever want, I don't know, I can't, I don't know about you, please let me know, but I would never, ever want to return to the age of like 18, 19, where everyone's like, oh, you're an adult now, you're on your own, meanwhile, you don't know shit about anything. I don't know, diddly squat, and it's even worse for ethnic people, because oh, like... I, I believe that. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, you don't leave the house, really. Until you're ready to get married. Oh, dear. For a lot of, you know, for a lot of us children of immigrants. Yeah. So that thing that Mrs. Kim said of, like, children should not make the rules, you're living under my roof kind of thing. Oh, my God. That's... mm. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, honestly, when we discussed that scene a few weeks ago, um, you kind of, like, you, you pointed out that I wouldn't really know what that's about because I didn't grow up in that kind of ethnic environment because I wrote in my notes for that episode that, like, Lane's not a child, like, Lane's 18. You're like, mm, um, not in, not in the mind of an immigrant parent. Yeah, <laughs> you could be 47 years old and still a child. Yeah. So... I don't know. I, I don't understand. Know <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So what do we want to talk about first? Do we want to talk about Liz and TJ? Do we want to talk about Jess? Um, let's, hmm, let's see. We could do, we could go like somewhat chronologically and talk about how, um, Jess has to push his car from Luke's two gypsies because she refuses to walk however many feet to look at it. Yeah, and this is what I mean when I say, like, minor characters in every single other episode are playing a big part in this episode. Ironically, though, Paris, Suki, and Michelle are absent. Well, nobody missed them. So. <laughs> we really didn't. I'm just pointing I'm just pointing it out. Like, at this point, fuck Suki. <laughs> no, she would have added nothing to this episode. Absolutely nothing. Literally zero. She would have offered me a fucking muffin, and that's it. Like, get out of here. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't miss you, Suki, with your stupid baby. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> I'm in a mood. Okay, so you can, call, you can call Suki's baby stupid, but when I call Fran stupid, it's, oh, the world is ending. Okay, you didn't call Fran stupid. You called her way worse things. Okay, well, Fran was stupid. Fran was dumb. <laughs> Oh, my God. Okay, don't miss Fran. So, um, <laughs> what? I don't miss Fran. <laughs> I don't miss Dookie. Okay, so listen. Um, Jess is back for his car. He's trying to get it repaired. He's still very angry. Wouldn't you be, though? Yeah, no, for sure. I don't think there's one conversation where he's level-headed in this episode. Yes. Every single conversation that he has in this episode, no matter who it's with, is fucking unhinged. Yeah, like I like I would have to say that like I don't really like how Jess is villainized in this episode. No, yeah, I also have a very hard time with it. And I have to ask though, have you ever had to push a car cuz it's not fun? Yes, I've had to do that. <laughs> Um, uh, so honestly, the way that everyone's yelling at him for causing traffic, hey, the, the town is, is the size of my thumb. You'll, you'll all survive, like, wait five minutes. Yeah, number one. Number two, I feel like there's, like, another street you could take. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, 
So like I'm not, you know, I'm not sympathizing with any of the people who are. I think there, I, but I think that was the point was that everyone's upset because they can see it just pushing a car. Yeah. So like if it was. When I, when I say it, that the, the the writing and everything was really clever in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there are a bunch of little things sprinkled into this episode to really drive the point home. <clears throat> yes. And, and one of those points is Jess is not welcome here. Yeah. So not only does Jess not want to be here, clearly, because he wants to get the fuck out of there, he's also not welcome here. Um, Which is not fair. Should we just say that first first and foremost? Yeah, I don't... I also never really understood, even in seasons two and three, I never really understood the mentality of... I... This whole town hating a 16, 17-year-old and, like, ganging up on him. Which is weird because even after Luke tried to explain that, like, I used to be kind of like him, like, he well, he didn't say I was exactly like him, but, like, I was kind of once like him and you all gave me a chance. Right. You all loved, like, and, like, you all love me. I'm asking you nicely to please give him a chance and I still didn't. I think it was just, like, that's just the thing is that he was, mar- he was just, like, permanently marked by, oh, he's trouble the moment he set foot in Stars Hollow in season two. Yeah, but that mentality to me is fucking weird. Like, I think, is yeah, I think it's in your neighborhood that everyone's like, oh, fuck Trevor. Like, you know, like, it's yeah. not it's not normal, guys. No, it's I not think normal it's rotating on a 17 year old. Like, I think it would just have to be chalked up to, like, ignorant small town mentality. And no offense to, you know, any listeners who are from a small town. And I'm not saying they're all like that, but I think in terms of the cliches that Gilmore Girls employs and thinking that's what they're going for. Yeah. And I think it didn't, it didn't help when, you know, that whole thing happened with Rory, who Mm -hmm. was seen as the town princess. Yeah. I was going to say, like, do you think I wrote in my notes, why do you think Gypsy in particular hates Jess so much? Like, do you think it's because how, like everyone knows that Jess treated Rory badly in the end? I think it's just that mob mentality. Really. I do. Like there really is, we've never, we've never ever seen um, Gypsy and Jess interact. We've no. Never seen, we've never seen them interact really with Kirk, like here and there when they, when they were at the diner. We've never really seen them interact with Babette other than the fact that we know that he stole Pierpon. But <laughs> like, you know, you're, if you're still holding that against the kid that just got here, like it's a little bit weird, you know? So that's yeah. why it's like really clever of the writers to put that in there. Mm-hmm. to try and, um, you know, really hone in on the fact that he's not welcome there. Yeah. And if this was, like, a taking sides thing, everyone's team Rory right now. Yeah, and I think it's almost, it's not almost, it is hypocritical of Stars Hollow, seeing as how it's billed as this warm, charming, quirky town that accepts anybody. Um, yeah. Not so much. No, clearly not, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so it's just really weird. Um, but, but, you know, he brings his car to Gypsy's. He's waiting for her to fix it. He's like, as soon as she's done, I'm fucking out of here. I don't want to be here. Um, he's clearly still really angry. And like, um, wouldn't, but I'm, I, I'm just, I have to wonder words, find the words. Um, like... I mean, I think I, I don't know if I felt this way the last time I watched this episode, but I think especially now, usually when I'm watching 
before we record the podcast, I'm like, might zoom through a couple of scenes, like, okay, I get what's going on here, nothing really I have to say about it, so I'll fast forward. Whereas, like, this episode, I pretty much sat and watched the whole thing without fast forwarding at all. And I have to say that I think, just as I wrote down in my notes that Jess's anger towards Luke is valid, but I think Jess's anger towards everything, not just in Star Wars Hollow, but like all areas of his life, I think at this stage is more than valid. Would you agree? Yeah, so I, I agree, but I think the way to interpret it um, is the way I interpret it is a little bit different. Okay, so, please tell me. I will, because that's the point of the podcast. <laughs> um, so I also, while watching the scene where Luke, where he and Luke are arguing, I was, everything that he said was true, right? Yeah. Um, and the thing is, it's not necessarily a bad thing that Luke is always there for people and wants to fix things, but what did you expect when you kicked him out? for not graduating high school. And I don't know, I think that conversation was really telling from Jess's perspective. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately, I think the conversation was more about failure. And and what Luke perceived as a failure. And again, this concept of conditional love keeps coming up. I know I've said it before, but I really, really want to say it again. Mm-hmm. Jess was finally getting to a place where he was kind of okay with Luke and he was good with Rory and his dad came and fucked everything up, but he wasn't expecting Luke to give up on him. Yeah, and I think I agree. It's first the conversation is more about failure than anything else. And I think it's also I mean, on top of failure is is Luke asking Jess like to help like we have to help them because like Luke is the helper and Jess's perspective is like um hey you tried to help me and look what look how that went like not even he's mad that Luke didn't help him it's that like Luke brands himself as you know the happy help not happy helper but like you know the guy who helps and fixes everything and um like he did like he failed Jess he didn't have like he didn't help him like he you know he wants to fix and help everyone but like hey you didn't fix me you threw me out and look at me now like I'm yeah, so that's what I was gonna say I was gonna say I think he's also really upset because Luke who hasn't seen his sister in so long is like well we have to fix this we have to do it like you know mm-hmm. like he's so willing to help everyone but the minute things got tough with Jess he was like you gotta go exactly so you can't, I think Jess is coming at it from two angles. First, he's like, I didn't fucking ask for your help. I didn't want your help. Nah, nah, nah. Fine. Okay. Maybe not the right way to say it, but needed to be said. And then the other part of him is like, well, if you want to help everyone, why couldn't you help me? Your blood. You know what I mean? Exactly. And I think the reason also is like, Jess is mad at everyone. Um, you know, when people say like, just let things go because it's it, like, like forgive people because when you don't forgive people, it's only hurting you, not them kind of thing. Yeah. I have a problem with that. Well, I do too. 100%. <laughs> Here's the thing. If people want to be angry for valid reasons, mm-hmm. and I think we can all agree that Jess's reasons for being angry are very valid. I say, let them be angry. <laughs> yes. Um, because you telling them to get over it 
even though, listen, I, I, I firmly believe that, like, yes, I buy into that, too. Why would I spend my time being angry? It's just driving me insane and the other person barely knows, so it's not really affecting them. I get that, too. But the po- the problem then becomes when you're actually forcing people to do that. Mm-hmm. Like you keep telling people, like, why are you so angry? You shouldn't be angry. Like, then that person feels like, well, maybe I shouldn't be angry. I have to get over it. And they just end up getting angrier. Yes. Because you're not letting them live with that anger for a little bit. Yes. If I may offer some uh, anecdotes from personal experience on this um, in terms of, I don't know, you know me, I'm a bitter person. I can tend to be pessimistic in general, just that's how I've always been. And I don't know, uh, adults, parents, relatives, older adults in general, have always just not really liked that about me. Mm-hmm. And so like if something if something bought like I'm going back to any number of examples from the time I could walk and talk pretty much is like you know my parents would tell me oh you're beating a dead horse let it go or you like I would just harp on things and of course I did like I would harp on things as any kid does but I would just like let it consume me to amounts that weren't healthy and I didn't really realize that until pretty much 18 19 like Lane and Roy's age so like I see now why it wasn't healthy for me to hold on to things to an excessive, unhealthy extent. But at the same time, adults telling you, especially like adults telling you, the kid, that you need to just let it go and get over it, move on, like without actually giving you any tools or advice or like anything to help you let go and move on is just kind of lazy and hypocritical, in my opinion. Yeah. Would you agree? <laughs> no, for sure. And I also think that um, people are very quick to tell others to let things go. Yeah. When they themselves would not be able to. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I wish I could go back to, like, when I was a teenager and just have the balls to say to someone who was like, oh, let it go. Like, it doesn't matter. It's like, um, this is not happening to you. It's happening to me. So, yeah. My Like, how I feel should be valid. I shouldn't have to listen to you tell me to shut up about it because you're done listening to me, you know? But also, I feel like the way you actually let things go is Mm -hmm. not by people telling you and kind of forcing you to let things go. The way, in my experience, the way I've been able to process things and let them go is by actually living with that anger a little bit. Yeah. Or that sadness or whatever. Living with those emotions understanding where they're coming from and why they're there Mm -hmm. and that helps me let things that helps me process it you know what I mean Mm -hmm. so I feel like it's really unfair for people to be upset with you for not letting things go when the whole thing is a process that you have to go through that takes however much time it takes for every individual Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Especially in a situation where that anger is valid. So Luke says something to Jess. He tells him, like, you don't care about other people. You only care about yourself. And in my head, I'm like, number one, that's not true. Mm -hmm. But again, things are said out of anger. I get it. Um, But then he also says um, Jess only takes care of himself. That's what he tells Lorelai. And in my head, I'm like, do you fucking blame him? He grew up with a mother that ignored him and his father abandoned him. And then the minute things got tough, you threw him out. He has yeah. to 
take care of himself. Again, these are children. Yeah. These are children. Oh dear. You know. I think I think we love this episode so much because like it brings up our own personal trauma. <laughs> We just want to relive our traumas. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, on, you know, on that note, I'll share one of my favorite mental health mantras, which is you have to feel it to move past it. Exactly. And I wish I could go back to so many younger versions of myself who didn't know how to feel things or process things properly. I'm not going to blame anybody for it, but like didn't know, didn't have the tools and didn't, wouldn't have been able to comprehend you have to feel it to move past it. So when we talk about the tools needed to move on from things, mm-hmm. um, I don't think the adults in our lives, if we're talking about, you know, this case with Luke and Jess, I don't think, or even our own traumas, as we said, <laughs> I don't think the adults in our lives realize that by telling us to just move on, you're not giving us the right tools to accept things. No, it's like it's like you said before, it's by, you know, harping on the the... The, the statement of just let it go and move on it's implying that well how i'm feeling right now is excessive is not okay like you have to like stop feeling this way right now and yeah, all that does all that does is like compress how you're feeling into this ugly even uglier feeling and it makes you question your every move because it's like well, well everyone else everyone else is fine like everyone else has everything all figured out and i don't i'm left behind like just ends up being worse for you in the end to try to move on faster if you're not ready for it. No, absolutely. And I think, um, and like, it's a cycle, right? Obviously Luke doesn't know how to deal with his emotions because his parents never let him deal with his emotions. Mm -hmm. He passed that on to Jeff. Um, I think the main difference is, I think, and also the reason why people root for Jeff so much is like when we see him again, he's in a much better place. And you can tell that you mean in season six? Yes. Okay, I was gonna say because like we see him again later in season four, and not so much. No, no. What I I would argue that when we see him again next time, he's he's in an even worse place than he is now. Yeah. But that's that's neither here nor there. <laughs> um, I want to go back to um the conversation the the events that happened right before Luke and Jess really get into it. Mm-hmm. And as another example of how brilliant the writing is and how subtly brilliant it is in this episode. Mm-hmm. So when we meet TJ for the first time, by the way, whose real name is Gary. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> really? Where did that where did that come from? <laughs> Who thought fucking Thomas Jefferson was a bad guess? Who was gonna guess Gary? No one. <laughs> oh mama mia. Anyways, so TJ is upstairs in Luke's apartment cooking, and Liz is really excited for Luke to meet the new guy in her life, um, who she swears is different. But you you can already tell Luke is going into it with this mentality of, like, oh, my God, another schmuck, you know? Um, And the the piece of the conversation that I really love, not, not for what it, not the conversation itself that I love, just for what it means in general, is when Luke... Luke sits down at the table, and Liz is so excited. She says, my two favorite guys are here. Ugh, I'm triggered. Yeah, so I was like, really? And this is why, like, I'm like, the writers knew exactly what they were doing. Because Liz knows that her son is in town. Yeah. TJ is meeting her brother. Mm-hmm. 
And she's like, my two favorite guys. Bitch, what about your son? Yeah. So this, this to me is the writer sprinkling in that Liz, who was like, let's be honest, abusive. Yeah. To her son. Into this quirky Liz that we're now supposed to accept. Mm-hmm. And you would miss it if you weren't analyzing it for the purposes of a podcast. <laughs> I, I do have to say, like, for people who come at us sometimes with different with like differing perspectives because they haven't really dissected the show as much as we have it's okay like it doesn't like it's not that deep (laughs) we're not like we shouldn't be that deep no i'm saying like in terms of they don't get what we're saying because they haven't thought about it that much like it's okay oh yeah no (laughs) listen for us it's definitely that (laughs) yeah to 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 pick this shit up like that was really really telling because i'm like you know your son is here. Mm-hmm. You know, like, your son should be the most important thing in your life, right? It's just reinforcing that Liz was never meant to be a mother. I'm sorry, she was never meant to be a mother. This this guy, like, because as far as we know, TJ is just another boyfriend in a long line of boyfriends. Mm-hmm. This guy that she just met. And she's like, oh, my two favorite guys. You're, you're leaving out what she said before they sat down, which was, this is my him. Yeah, well, that was also nasty, but <laughs> I was like, nobody speaks like that, Liz. What medication are you on? And then when I Jess said it was walks in, before... <laughs> and then when Jess walks in, mm-hmm. do you remember what she said after? Um, I'm going to when you say it. So first she says my two favorite guys in reference to Luke and TJ. Then Jess yeah. walks in. And instead of saying something like amending it and being like, oh, my three favorite guys, which I could have even forgiven, even though she forgot her son. Mm-hmm. Now she says, all the men in my life. Really? Yeah. Your child is just another man in your life. It's true. It is very telling. <laughs> you are not meant to be a mother. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I can't. I can't do it. I know a lot of people, we've said this before, really love Liz. They love her quirkiness. They think she fits right into Stars Hollow. They think she had a really great redemption arc. I'm sorry. No, she's trash. I was actually going to say the opposite. I've actually heard from a lot of our followers saying, like, echoing our statements of uh, how we're annoyed that like Liz became a character after Jess was. And they kind of, like you said, she had this redemption arc and they formed her into this quirky little Stars Hollow person and yeah well listen i've also heard both right yeah like i'm thinking mm, people who love liz are more like you're broken oh my god okay (laughs) shush i'm kidding (laughs) okay love how like i get yelled at for saying oh i'm not even gonna go into it um (laughs) you're broken okay um no i'm thinking like liz people who love liz are kind of like Luke and Lorelai fans who just kind of love the family aspect of it all and it's it's not it's not it family aspect like I don't know I'm kind of just going off of what I've seen on social media I think it's people who like who love Liz also love Luke and just kind of oh they're siblings (laughs) haha like that kind of thing (laughs) that shit no. I mean, you know what I mean. Like, there's honestly, in terms of the Gilmore Girls fandom, there's like people like us who like to dissect and tear apart and analyze, and then there's the other side of the fandom who's just like, 
I love this show. I don't put that much thought into it, though. Yeah, the other side of the family was rocking themselves to sleep while singing If You're Out on the Road, goddammit. <laughs> yeah, I do that, too, but for different reasons, okay? <laughs> I know you do it for different reasons. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, just like, for example, when we post, like we posted, you posted a screenshot of um, your tweet about Jess's line from last episode of nice Spanish work for Bush and how it was brave for the writers on the WB in 2003-2004 to be critical of the Bush administration. Because, yes, there was other cultural references to Bush, but not on the WB as much. Right. So it was brave, as you said. And then there's, like, a bunch of people who love to come into our comments whenever we post something political. Also, like, American politics, by the way. We're still Canadian. Other countries exist. Remember that. Um, just they come into our comments and they want to argue about how why do we have to insert politics into everything. It's like, we're literally quoting the show. Politics was in the show. Like, we where, where's the force? Where's the forcing? I think that's a different issue, though. Like, I mean, I get what you're saying, but I think it's just people that don't want their favorite shows tainted. When in reality, I'm not doing the tainting. It's mm. literally a line in the fucking show. Oh, but and and but if you okay if you think oh, but you know what i mean like people who only watch gilmore girls like it's their comfort show kind of thing yeah then that's fine political. Mm-hmm. and then when you dare to point out that it is in fact political they're like what are you talking about you fucking bitch <laughs> it's true though like if you don't if you think we're tainting the show then don't don't follow us okay what were we talking about? I lost, I lost, I lost it. What were we talking about? I don't remember. On track, as usual. <laughs> so, um, Rory's in town, and I also have an issue with this. Rory's in town, knows that Jess is in town, mm-hmm. and says to Lorelai and Lane that she's gonna go walking around town. Yeah. And then grab a coffee, do some reading in town. And be back for lunch. Bitch, when have you ever taken a leisurely stroll in your life? Um, she's. I think she's done that more since going to Yale. Because remember in the beginning of season four, she was reading in the gazebo when... Yeah, that's um, fine. But you would think, like, you, you tell your mother last episode you don't want to deal with this. Yeah. <laughs> and now you're just like, oh, I'm just going to go do something around town. What? Oh, I can't hear you. Bye. <laughs> okay, that's just... Mm, that's just, you know, loosey-goosey. Boring. So, like, you were surprised that you ran into Jess, really? Yeah, I know. Okay, bitch, don't tell me you didn't want to run into Jess. No, I think she was, like, it was kind of a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like, she's like, I don't want to deal with it. I'm not, I'm not talking to him. But then you go for a walk. Like, you literally create the situation for it to happen. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, so I feel like, again, it's a subtle part of the show. But it's like, Rory doesn't do that. Rory's usually in her room studying. Let's be honest. You know? I think part of Rory really wanted to run into Jess. And I think that's that's proven at the end of the episode where she's like, I've thought about this moment a lot. Yeah, exactly. Like, how can she not want to run into him? Like, there was so much that was unsaid and still so much unsaid after this point that it's just, how can she not picture it, you know? Exactly. Um... You know, and then when they're having that conversation with Babette, where Babette's, like, going on and on, and she's like, no, I'm over it. I just wasn't, you know, 
ready to see him. I'm like, you're not fucking over it. I actually copied down a quote from that scene because I loved it so much and it made me uh, it made me chuckle, even though I've seen this episode three thousand times. Um, little bastard. When, yeah, when Laura when. Rory is telling Lorelai and Babette about how, oh, I ran into him. And again, they're too shocked. They're also shocked. Like, um, he's here. The town is the size of my thumb. But like, that doesn't well, even making it seem like they're in a sprawling metropolis. I know. I just liked how Lorelai was like, he went into Weston's? That little bastard. <laughs> oh, sorry, he can't go into a cafe. The only cafe. <laughs> oh my god, it's fucking ridiculous. Like, you're making it seem... Like, you're in freaking... Uh, fucking... What's a popular city? <laughs> Minneapolis. <in> Tokyo. <laughs> Tokyo. <laughs> you know? Like, you're in... Uh, oh, my God. It's Stars Hollow. There's seven businesses, and you make four right turns, and you're, like, in the town square again. <laughs> oh, my God. These girls. I know. But, yeah. She definitely wanted to see Jess. Let's be honest. Yeah, and like I don't blame her for that because I don't know. It's 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 it, there's so much complex emotions going on here in this episode. That's why it's just like so entertaining and so rewarding when you when you dissect it. It's like this contributes to that, and of course Roy Roy wandering into him like she wanted to talk to him but didn't want like she wanted to do it on her own terms. I think, and that's why she was upset that he came back. Yeah, I think. But even then, I think no matter how many times, like she said it, you know, I've pictured this moment so many times, uh, no matter how many times you've pictured it or, you know, argued about it in your head, have you ever done those things where you, like, replay an argument and you're like, oh, I should have said that? Yeah. (laughs) I know that you and I do that when we, like, argue. We argue with our imaginary selves in the shower. (laughs) Anyways, I think seeing him the way she did, uh... You know, him coming into town. I think it really threw her. And I kind of felt bad for her. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I think... I don't know. I like how when she... Like, when they finally do talk, whatever, you know, the sent the three sentences they do have, um, it's, she, it's also telling that she's like, no, this is my town. I get to leave. Like, I think she wanted almost subconsciously when she went out... I mean, I'm going to go for a walk to the books or whatever. She wanted... Like, she subconsciously wanted to run into him, but, like, wanted it to be on her terms. You know what I mean? So, like, she wanted it to... She didn't want to feel like she couldn't walk through her own town because she's home from school. Yeah, she wants, she wants to do what she wants and be able to not yeah, have to worry about it. Thing. I mm-hmm. feel like for her it was more of a... Like, you already left me once. Yeah. Um, Like, you set the terms last time. I didn't get a say in this. Now you're back and I'm what I'm, I'm supposed to just like like she wanted to kind of live her life and not mark her territory necessarily. But, you know, show him that, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to be you, basically. I'm not going to run and hide. Yeah. Um, even though she really didn't know what to say at the end. And she started running. Also, can we talk about the fact that she can't run for shit? <laughs> but I love how Jeff was like, how'd you learn how to run like that? Like what? She's running in a zigzag pattern. We're not shooting at you, Rory. <laughs> Like you know, much like <laughs> much like you and I, Lorelai and Rory are not athletically inclined. <laughs> well, let's be honest. Anyways, it's just um, I felt really bad for her. I'm not gonna lie. And that whole—it's not even a conversation. What happened at the end, where he's just like, 
Do you think he planned that? Like planned that he was going to say that he loves her? No, no, I mean, like, do you think... Do you think when he came back into town, he had a plan to actually talk to her? And that every time he saw her, he just got, like, either spooked or didn't know what to say? Or, like, I don't know. No, I don't think he did. I think his, I think his end goal was... I think he knew in some some part of his brain that oh, is at school. I might I probably won't see her, so I just want to go get my car and get out as soon as as fast as I can. But yeah. then the fact that he kept running into Rory and running away because he didn't want to to deal with that or his feelings, and then like after running into her twice it was, and then the last the third time he's just like, okay, no, I want to talk to you now. Like I want it. Like I've having I think in the same way that Rory says. I've, you know, I, I pictured this moment in my mind. I think Jess, having seen her those two other times, was also picturing the moment in his mind. And I was like, hey, no, no, I want to say what I want to say. Yeah, see, I think, like, he's been thinking about it. Just like she said, um, you know, I've pictured this moment a lot. I think he's also been thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... I think just because he's been thinking about it didn't mean he was expecting it to happen. Because if you remember... He came and got the car and he left. The only reason he came back to Stars Hollow is because um, he he stalled on the highway and the cops picked him up, right? Yeah, exactly. So it was never his intention to stay in town. Um, so I think even though he had been thinking about what to say to her, he really just wasn't ready to say it. Yeah. But he, he had this whole speech prepared in his head, like, you know, at the end where he says to her, I need to talk to you. Mm-hmm. He was probably like, okay, I'm going to say all the things I wanted to say. I think the first two times that they ran into each other, he was just not ready yet because he wasn't planning it, you know? Yeah. Um, I kind of would have liked to see what he wanted to say before word vomit came out of his mouth. Yeah. I love you. And then ciao. Like, what? I think that was obviously the gist of what he wanted to say. There was just a lot more to go with it, I would want to believe. Communicate, man. <laughs> Oh, dear. But at least, like, I was going to say, at least they can communicate better than other people. We, I guess. Like. Not really in this episode, though. No, I'm just, like, thinking ahead to a other certain someone who will shall remain nameless because we don't want to get into him right now. Um, <laughs> fine. <laughs> okay, because we, 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 we both know we opened the Dean Gate. It just never closes, so... <laughs> Anyways, um, I want to talk about Richard and Emily. I was going to say, after we've gone through all of all of the emotions with my beautiful husband, do we have to talk about how Emily is, like, at her sassiest, most iconic behavior in this episode? So, number one, she's at her sassiest behavior, but I also love this because um, it's the subtle ways in which the writers are telling us that they're not on good terms. You mean, oh, like, Richard and Emily aren't on good terms? Yeah. And, like, if you're not looking for it, you don't really see it. Mm-hmm. But they, if you go, I, I'm telling you, if you go back and look, they never actually speak to each other at the at the gala or fundraiser or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, he never actually acknowledges her when she speaks. Yeah. They never even make eye contact. It's like, yeah, it's frustrating. It's super frustrating. And, like, 
I think she's doing her best. Like, when she comes over and she's like, Richard, I just heard Floyd was here. Mm-hmm. And, like, he doesn't even acknowledge her. No. And I think she's, like, kind of doing her best to do what she usually does and be, like, the doting wife. Yeah. Girl, I don't have time for you. <laughs> I think, I mean, you're right when you say that it's clear in this episode they're not communicating properly. Yeah. Shuffling. Um, that would be my father. Are you about done over there, sir? Hello, Cliff. Hey there, how are you? Did you? Yeah. <laughs> Impossible of being quiet. Yeah. Take yeah. okay. Just take your bag and go. Wanna eat? You'll shut up and let me get my Okay. Hmm. <laughs> this is staying in, by the way. Oh, uh, yeah. Of course it is. Little cameo. There we go. Okay. What was I saying? <laughs> He was literally trying to be quiet, too. I'm like, you're failing miserably. Anyway. Um, you're about as quiet as an elephant. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's definitely true what you said about how in this episode they're not communicating properly at all. Mm-hmm. But, like, I don't think it's even, like, doesn't even crack the top ten of season four moments where it's, like, clear that they are oh, not on good terms. And I don't think... No, no, but by no means do I think this is, like, the biggest indicator of their problems. <laughs> like, absolutely not. I just think it's a little bit, um, you know, it. I think it was done on purpose to make us think, because if you recall, mm-hmm. when it does eventually get said that they're split up, everyone's kind of in shock. Yeah. Well, in shock. Nobody really sees it coming. Mm-hmm. I purposely put in the episode, this episode, to make us think back on it. And yeah. that, I think it's so brilliant. Yeah, because, like, when the moment does come where it's, um, like, the, they separate, or not even before they separate, it's, like, where it's clear, it's, like, this is not good. Yeah. Is that, it feels like in the moment, if you haven't been paying attention, that it's, like, it's, oh, it's sudden. But it was really, in fact, a slow burn to the point of separation. Exactly. So, um, you know, this fucking rare manuscript fundraiser. Mm -hmm. If anything needs a fundraiser, let's be honest, it's not the world of academia and rare books. No, and I love how they, like, Emily is just swept up by the, not even the honors, just like she's swept up by the what's even the word the just like the rich like to borrow babette's turn just like the ritziness of the of the occasion that she's like we can't be like loretta bobbins and lose our table without filling in it's like she doesn't even give a shit what the fundraiser is for she's like wants to be there yeah but i think you know i i think that's just emily's life <laughs> like and i think the reason also that she gets so worked up about it too is mm-hmm. because we've said it before that's her job right yeah like, making sure that her husband looks good in front of colleagues and friends mm-hmm. by any means necessary, that's always been her job. Yeah. So she can't fail at her job, you know what I mean? No. So I think that's why she's extra just, like, strung out. But, like, it's just, it's too much now. Yeah, it's like, like I said, it doesn't even crack the top ten, but you know it's coming. Like, it's it's brewing. Like, trouble is brewing. Trouble on the horizon. Definitely. Um, I also just think it's, like, weird the way she keeps shitting on Lorelai. Yeah, she's like, don't, what did she say? Don't wear those, 
panty is it pantyhose like you look, you look like 10 cents a dance 10 cents a dance yes by the way pantyhose with the steam up the back oh i'm sorry <laughs> jesus oh god they're so crazy honestly though that first scene where lorelei answers the phone and she's like it's a complete disaster my existence yeah same i feel that i felt that i felt that on a deep level <laughs> definitely um I want to talk about one more thing. I want to talk about the conversation that Lorelai and Jess have. Yeah, that's that's what that's what inspired my comment about how Jess is villainized too much in this episode. Yeah. So, listen, it's no secret that Lorelai never liked Jess, right? And honestly, though, and sorry, this is, is, is this is impeding on what you're gonna say, but like in this yeah. in that scene of anger where he, she's getting mad at him, it's like everybody who's ever said to us and we've also agreed that like um jess uh, lorelei hates jess because there she was so similar to him when she was young um in that scene where she's getting mad at him i'm like i see it 100 percent. yeah um i don't know i mean i definitely see it but i also just think again you're hating you're making it your entire personality to hate an 18 year old like yeah like the more you the more you say it the more it's weird like how everyone hates a child like you said it's pretty much i'm not saying don't be angry at the fact that like he ran out on your daughter without an explanation i'm not even saying that because you do have a right to be angry but this whole like i'm gonna get in his face and i'm gonna yell at him and i'm gonna tell him to get the fuck out of town like that's just too much now especially since we know now and and after two is that he's not in a good place and it's just like everyone everyone in his life has failed him and you're making it worse yeah <laughs> but the thing is i think lorelei has always had blinders when it came to jess oh for sure um so this whole thing of like where everyone else would kind of give him the benefit of the doubt of um you know like you know it can be easy his mother who basically abandoned him is back in town mm-hmm. and you know like any any rational person i feel like would be like maybe he's having a hard time right now yeah, and I feel like, I, I, I don't even know, like, in the 2000s, maybe not, but maybe now, like, we see the mental health concerns a bit more, would you agree? Um, yeah, probably. But, I mean, I, I still don't think it takes a genius to figure out that he wasn't in a good place. Like, you literally saw him sleeping <clears throat> in a car in three-degree weather. Yeah, exactly. Wearing like... the tiniest leather jacket in the winter. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, knowing that he just left his father's in California and that his flake of a mother is back in... Like, you know what I mean? Like, I just think she obviously knew all this stuff, but she didn't want... She didn't give a fuck. Read the room. Well, that's another problem, but at least... Um, I also don't like, during that whole conversation, that she uses Luke as an excuse. I know. To, like, go up to him and basically tell him... You know, Rory's fine. She doesn't need you. Yeah, and Jess even, Jess even calls her out and it's like, like, get exactly. off. This is about Rory. By the way, yeah, by the way, I think that's what Lorelai doesn't like about him. Lorelai is, Lorelai is not used to people calling her out on her shit. Oh, yes, 100%. The few times that Luke has done it, they've gotten into big arguments. <clears throat> yeah. And when people say that Lorelai doesn't like Jess because they're so similar. Lorelai is usually the one to call people out on their shit, too. Mm-hmm. She can dish it out, but she can't take it. Yeah. Um, and Jess is exactly the same way. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I love the fact that Jess is like, this is not about Luke. This is about, like, he saw right through her. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And, and I also hate the fact that Lorelai, you like, is once again speaking for Rory. Yeah, it's like, Rory, again, doesn't have this time or, like, isn't allowed the time or space to process her feelings, like what you said before. Yeah. I mean, even when they're talking with Babette, do you remember, like, when they're talking with Babette, Laura was like, no, no, she's fine. She's fine. Like, she's right there. Let her speak. Like, (laughs) again, I wouldn't be able to say because I don't know personally, but would you not agree that like an ethnic immigrant parent would also say the same thing like no no she's fine shut up she's fine 100 <laughs> my mother speaks for me all the time yeah <laughs> and you just have to kind of get used to it yeah <laughs> whatever but i mean you know we've seen we've seen in the past how lorelei lorelei going behind rory's back has always bothered us right with dean mm-hmm. um with the town like you know just it, it's always bugged me because you pretend, if we want to bring it back to Mrs. Kim, you pretend that you're so much better than Mrs. Kim because, you know, you don't keep secrets from your, your daughter doesn't keep secrets from you. Your daughter tells you everything. Remember how upset Lorelai was that Rory didn't tell her about her first kiss because that's not the kind of relationship we have? Yeah. You, you know, it, it just, you... <laughs> I don't know. You you pretend like you're this great mother who who knows everything about her kid and would never, you know, want her her kid to feel like she couldn't do or say something because of you. When really like speaking for your child and giving your child feelings that she might not even have. Mhm. Terrible things. Yeah. Agreed. Sure. Not on the part of Mrs. Kim kicking Lane out, but I mean, like, there's similar stuff. Yeah, for sure. It's just done in different ways, in my opinion. And we see them more later on, I find. Absolutely. But I mean, it's just, I don't know, this whole episode, it's so mwah, but it's also like, ugh. One last thing I do want to say about Jess is that in this episode, he does give me queer vibes the more that I think about it in response to our... In response to our conversation uh, during our Christmas time quarantine queries, um, not in just not in terms of like. Um, By the way, like, sorry. Do you remember what I named that episode? Um, I don't. What was it? The Gilmore Gays. <laughs> right. Yeah, I remember that now. <laughs> that should have been a, that should have been our podcast name. Ugh, Lord. <laughs> um, I was no. The, in this episode, it, it it's. Like, it piques my interest in terms of just the way that he kind of acts in terms of body language with his family of, like, you're all full of shit, and I see right through it. It's just kind of, again, I'm not speaking, it's not speaking for every queer person ever, but just, like, the way that he's just done and is, like, disengaged is very on par with what I find, like, queer people who've had similar family drama where they, like were rejected maybe or other stuff happened but now their parents or their relatives want to make nice and we're not here for it you know so i don't know i just like i when like in response to our discussion at christmas time last year watching this episode it just it made me see through a different lens shall we say so you it reinforced your idea that jess is bisexual 
Um, it wasn't. It, mm, or how bisexual, but would sleep with a man? <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say like I wouldn't. And that I man would, is you. <laughs> yes, please. But I would. I I I think I'm more comfortable going with just with the label of queer because I'm not sure if it would be bisexual or right. what. But I don't know. I do see it. I know our followers see it, so I don't really care what Eleno thinks. Oh, I don't. I don't really care either. <laughs> I mean, clearly you agree somewhat because we dedicated, like, half a podcast episode to it, so. Yeah, but also, like, um, this this topic came up when I posted something about Rory and Laura, uh, Rory and Paris being lovers mm-hmm. because I saw sexual tension. Oh, it's there. You, you weren't wrong. <laughs> okay, so, well, here's the thing. I, so the reason I don't, because you said, like, you don't, you said that I don't see it. The, pro- the problem is not that I don't see it. It's more like, if you see it, who am I to tell you it's not there? Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, like, that whole point of that conversation that we had at Christmas time about um, why people think Jess is bisexual, you know, just because maybe I don't see it doesn't mean that somebody else doesn't. So when I posted that thing about uh, Paris and Rory and I said, um, happy pride from these lovers. Yeah. And, like, the sexual tension, whatever. Somebody got so mad at me. And was like, seriously? You're making it awkward. How dare you? And I was like, bro, who are you to tell me that there's no sexual tension? If I see sexual tension and you don't, that's it. That's fine. Honestly, that was just a classic example of a social media argument where it was, like, she wrote, this was awkward to post. And you're like, awkward for who? Because I feel fine. Like, she was making, literally make like making her problem everyone's problem. And so we kind of, like... We responded, then other people responded, and she was just like, now I'm, like, basically played the I'm atta- I'm being attacked card. And, like, like what it is. Yeah, no, it wasn't great. Um, so. But it was, it was one of those, like, I'm, like, I like pride. I don't know what she wrote. Like, you know, I'm all for pride, but. Do you want because, me to read it? Like, clearly you're not. <laughs> yeah, do you want it's me like, to read it? That's like, I'm not homophobic, but. Um, I have a gay friend. <laughs> Um, so she said y'all made this strange for no reason i support i support pride month but there was no sexual tension this was so out of context and awkward to post okay and then i wrote awkward for whom because i feel fine uh but then i just kept saying like oh i first of all i told her to get over herself because i was not having it that day and she said, the point is, you're overanalyzing everything. And I'm like, yeah, that's a fucking podcast, what we do. It's always, um, people who, it's always people who don't follow us, who, like, find our posts on their Explore page and want to come in and argue. They don't know us. They don't know our page. Just, like, go away. She said, I'm just making a point that it seems like reaching to say that they had sexual attention. And no, I wasn't saying, I wasn't using the I have a gay friend reference. Mm. Because somebody told her, like, you're using that. And she goes, I was using an example of how someone who is gay with a straight friend whom they are close with and have multiple close interactions wouldn't want people to assume there was sexual tension and that they were actually straight. They're fictional, bitch. <laughs> uh, she's like, but I'm not here to argue. Oh, you're not here to argue. You started an argument, but you're not here to argue. That's what I said. I said, listen, you're the one that said it was awkward. Those were your words. If I think there's sexual tension between two characters, who are you to tell me I'm wrong and berate me for making a post about it? Kindly go away. (laughs) 
Oh, there's certain there's certain jabs that only Eleni can make. Oh, just me. But um, so that was the point I was trying to make. Like, if people are, if people, if you come to me and are like, you know what? I kind of see what they were saying about just being queer in this episode. I'm like, cool. I'm glad mm-hmm. you see it. Like, uh, <laughs> like, who am I to say like, no, Jeffrey, you're wrong. Get your ears and eyes clean. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, like, it clearly wasn't written that way, but if my experience lends to seeing it through that lens, like, that's that's my opinion. That's my and experience. Also, yeah, and also, here's another point that I would like to tell Miss I Support Pride Month. <laughs> um, by the way, she just supports Pride Month. Oh, yeah, not gay. It's just Pride Month. <laughs> just, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fuck the homosexuals all the other days of the year. <laughs> um... Like, wouldn't it be better if somebody saw Jess and was like, oh, my God, a queer character like me? Yeah. Wouldn't it be better if they felt better about themselves? Because even though he's not written to be queer, they see themselves in him. Exactly. Like, go away. And honestly, throughout history, that happens more times than not. Because only recently have we been able to see, like, LGBTQ LGBTQ, all the other alphabets on like re- represented on screen so like exactly. more times than not in the in you know the history of the screen um it's been having you know gay or queer viewers uh, identify with a character that wasn't written that way because they weren't allowed to be or they weren't able to be so like that's more likely than actually seeing it themselves in a queer character that's written as queer if that makes sense yeah no i get it but um you know, happy Pride Month to us. Yeah. <laughs> or like, <laughs> speaking of which, like when you said happy Pride Month to me when someone shouted to you on the street. Oh my God, this is so you. funny. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was going for a walk on my lunch break because it was such a beautiful day one day. I think it was at the beginning of June. And uh, it must have been like June 2nd or 3rd. So like Pride flags are flying all around Toronto. And I was like, oh, it's such a beautiful day. I'm going to go. I'm going to go for a walk. And so this homeless man was just yelling, and I couldn't hear what he was yelling at first. Um, but then all of a sudden he made eye contact with me, and he was like, "Fuck you, faggots! I hope you fucking die. I'm gonna fucking kill you, faggots!" And I was like, "Oh, happy Pride Month to me." <laughs> I didn't know he was homeless. I didn't get. I didn't get that part of the story. <laughs> Anyways, I was like, "Oh, okay, okay." Honestly, I feel I don't feel as bad now if he's homeless. Like. <laughs> Oh my god. But uh, yeah, happy Pride Month, everyone. Yeah, thank you for the uh, verbal abuse, all of you. We love it. Thank you. Oh dear. Where where can they follow us? Oh no, don't make me do it. Oh, it's not even that hard. Jesus Christ. Okay, they can follow us at Gilmore Podcast on Twitter and Gilmore Girls Podcast on Instagram. How hard was that? Super difficult. And where can they email us? GilmorePodcast at gmail.com. Look at you go. Yes. Do we have a bracket update, ma'am? No. Okay. <laughs> I'm asking too much now. <laughs> exactly. Honestly, I've been so busy. Like, the bracket has been on the back burner. Well, we'll bring it back eventually. Hopefully. Rest, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> Rest assured. <laughs> Please, God, Jesus. <laughs> All right. So we'll see you next time. Yes. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.